You're listening to Live for Live Music Presents Inside Out with Turner. I'm Turner. I know, and I'm Seth, but you're listening to Inside Out with... Turner. And... Seth! Hey, everybody. What's going on, Seth? Well, I'm in Mexico once again. Uh, I'm here for Castaway, uh, Castaway Music Festival here, Zach Brown's event. Uh, tomorrow, it closed, tonight it ends, actually. And we welcome My Morning Jacket for one big holiday. And then after that, the Avett Brothers for On the Beach, At the Beach, rather, At the Beach. Uh, so we're doing remote. Now, and uh, just Now, a- Seth. Yeah, man. When you have asked me of all the destination festivals, events, the one which I would most want to attend would be My Morning Jacket because of a combination of my enthusiasm for the band but the fact that I've still only seen them like 10 or 15 times, and I know that they really mix up their set list and really bring something fresh musically every year to their event. Is that true? Oh, that's yeah, that's very true. And if you ask me my two favorite events, regardless of working the event or participating and just being a fan, uh, Jam Cruise, number one, and One Big Holiday, number two. So I'm really excited. Really? One Big Holiday above all else to be number two? Yeah, it's, it's, it is an incredible gig. Um, they always pick great bands and the fan base. I mean, the fan base is just phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's a really great gig. Really, really great one. Um, but yeah, lots going on. We just, uh, we decided, uh, well, Rob, why don't you fill our listeners and our new listeners, by the way, welcome everybody, uh, fill everyone in Rob. Why are we doing, what are we doing here? Well, um, we're going to have these little mini episodes, but before we jump into that, I want to mention that, uh, a little tip of my hat to live for live music, our, uh, partners, because I thought it was really nice. Um, it was not nice that Butch Trucks passed. That was very sad news. And yeah. some friends of mine who are big Almond Brothers fans were very, 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 very struck by that. Very horrible news on many levels. But I, I thought it was very touching. Live for Live Music put out an article with a video of the final Elizabeth Reed, which included apparently the final um, drum solo of which Butch Trucks was a part of. So... Pretty cool of Live for Live music to do that. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. And uh, while we have Live for Live music uh, as a topic right now, I do want to mention they they just today announced uh, uh, their final um, artist for their Fool's Paradise, which is taking place in Florida over in St. Augustine. On uh, Are we going to that, Seth? What's the deal? I don't know yet. We'll see. Uh, March 31st to April 1st. And, or it's actually March 31st and April 1st, but it's Lettuce, Joe Russo's Almost Dead, uh, The Floozies and The Motet have been added, Manic Science, which is Manic Focus and Break Science, The Main Squeeze, Organ Freeman with the artist at large, O'Teal Burbridge, and Antoine Stanley. So this is a, this is a pretty cool thing. And Rob, this is, where we, this is the same spot that we uh, saw Umphreys on your bachelor party. Exactly. What a great weekend that was. But I got to say, at the risk of repeating myself, the main squeeze jumps off that bill to me, Seth. I love the main squeeze. What a great lead vocalist. What an incredibly positive vibe. And what, what a wonderful experience it is to see main squeeze live. Well, you just sold it to me, Rob. I think we're going to have to work our way down there. And that is no April Fool's joke. No. And, of course, as I've said from literally episode one, I would very much like to interview O'Teal Burbridge and Seth. Until you look that up, I'm disappointed. So, O'Teal, that's on you. I'm disappointed in my brother, my, my lover, my friend, Seth Weiner. I'm disappointed in, in him until I get to interview O'Teal. 
Well, Rob, remember, Oteil lived in Atlanta, but no longer does. So that made it a little bit more difficult. But uh, all the love to you. We, uh, <laughs> hey, we won't, we won't talk about dosing at the gorge all that much. Maybe a little. Um, we probably will. I don't know. Whatever. Not, it won't be the whole interview. It'll be a three-part interview is what you're trying to say. Oh, my God, I'd love it. I would love it. No problem with that. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> Maybe what we'll do is we'll do the OTL month, and we'll do uh, every other week we'll release uh, the other part of his interview. So, anyways, what we're going to be doing, now that we're with Live for Live Music, we're going to have fresh episodes every other week. But um, we had two in a row because it was a two-parter. Two-parters are going to be rare, and we've learned, <laughs> we've learned more, than, <laughs> more than ever why those should be rare, right, Seth? Uh, yes, yes. Big splash on part one of Brandon. Nobody gives a shit about part two. I wouldn't say nobody gives a shit. I mean, people definitely. Well, it was, we still were one of the better Twitter responses on Live for Live Music site, but still, we just had such a big splash the first one that I got my hopes up, which we got to keep our nose to the grindstone, but whatever, we're going to have every other week is when we're going to release fresh episodes. But on that off week, initially, we're going to feature some uh, some of our favorite moments during the interviews to let you folks, some of our listeners, know that I guess it may be daunting to look at our episodes and see these long links to them, particularly if you're a friend of Seth's. <laughs> You're friends too, Rob. Oh, come on now. I don't have friends. You know that. Uh, you do have enemies, though. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm racking them up. As long as you keep your shirt on, I think you'll make more friends. But uh, so these Twitter, these tweener shows that we're going to do, I, we re- really want to do highlight some of our uh, some of these uh, well, pieces of the interviews that we've done. Hold on, I'm holding. Most people, most people feel better comparatively when they see me with my shirt off. Makes them feel better about how they look with their shirt off. So you, you do ever it, think about that? You do it for them. Such a kind soul you are. I didn't say I did it for them. It's sort of a positive fallout. <laughs> sort of a Spafford, if you will. Uh, except for uh, Rob, if you guys don't know, is not allowed at certain venues because of this, and also certain bands do not allow oh. him at their shows. <laughs> and I'm at the parking lot of the QT, and and my dog has taken a liking to my neighbor who just pulled up next to me. So you may hear my dog barking just a minute. Hi there, how you doing? So uh, these tweeners will go ahead and uh, fill you guys in. Uh, this one here, uh, we're gonna pull as we're kind of started off with Umphreys. We're going to keep that going down this week and let you guys in a little bit to the Jefferson Waffle interview, uh, Rob. Yeah, it's sort of Humphreys month, right? Umph month, would you Umph. say? A month. Umph month. I don't know, yes. And what we did, Jefferson Waffle, and then it, it, the story kind of trickled out over the course of the entire episode. That's why we're happy to refocus on this episode. He's talking about how he was able to surrender himself to the laser director at Wani and how he felt as though he drew inspiration from the fact that Chris Carota was able to surrender himself to some extent to Jefferson when he allowed him to do the lights on the water um, at the Fish Destination Festival. What, what was that one called? It was the first one yeah. uh, about a little over a year ago. Fish, uh, I don't know, I forget what they called them, just Fish Riviera, I guess. I don't, I don't remember if there was a specific name for it. Whatever the case, Jefferson got to work with Chris Carota. The fact that Chris was willing to trust Jefferson and let him run part of the light show emboldened Jeff to do the same. And we're walked through that story um, by these snippets that we've lifted from our episode. It was one of the first episodes. Episode, I think it was episode five or six. Remember we flip flop with Spike because of umph demand? Yes, I do remember. 
It was an Abbey Road, let it be thing. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's go ahead and let you... Actually, hold on, Rob. That was ex- episode 006.543. So what we'll do, we'll play this first little segment, and then Seth and I are going to reset you, and then we're going to play the end of uh, another longer segment. And... Um, and then that'll be, this is just a mini episode. This is not a full episode. This is a mini episode. Mini, 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 mini. So here's a mini Umphrey segment and then some Jeff Waffle. Y'all enjoy. Wasted you Don't count the cost anymore Let's see Let's Jeff Waffle So Umphreys was the last band of the weekend and the last uh-huh. band on this stage. And, you know, throughout, I guess not throughout the weekend, well, sure, the, the previous two nights, you had seen on that stage this laser effect that I call a cloud effect, but they call it a liquid effect, is it? Liquid? Uh, well, their, their laser operator called it Liquid Sky. His name is Glenn Wright. And we're going to talk about Glenn. Because um, we, we are talking about Glenn. Well, the thing was that it's a really cool effect, but it was maybe being overused a little bit. And, and, and then you guys started your set, and I was thinking to myself, you know, we got halfway in, and he hadn't, Jeff hadn't used it, and I was like, hmm. When are the lasers? The lasers. The lasers. What's up? Does he not like them? What's going on with the lasers? Well, I had just seen uh, probably the most legendary lighting designer in terms of moving lights, Mark Brickman, who is the lighting designer for Pink Floyd, and really was the one who kind of innovated the style of moving lights. Because when moving lights first came out, the whole concept was, you're going to light up a subject. If you picture a, a theater show or a Broadway-style show, there's a light focused on a fixed position. Or in TV, they always talk about hitting their mark. David Letterman or whoever comes out to do the monologue, he stands on a little X where all the lights are aimed. And so the point of a moving light was we can have multiple Xs, and they'll move. We'll shut the light off, and while it's dimmed down when there's no intensity coming out, we can move it to another spot and then turn it back on, and he'll be on another X. That was the original concept. And at one point, and I talked about this with uh, Candace Brightman at one point as well, when I was interviewing her for Relics, they made a mistake. And you and I talked about this during Terrapin Station. Right. They left the lights up by accident as they were moving them. They figured out that, hey, if we leave the light on, the movement can actually be part of the show. And now with, you know, Chris Carota took it to a new level, and now pretty much every jam band does this. But the movement is part, is a big part of the show. Um, so... I saw Mark Brickman three times in the last couple of weeks on the David Gilmore tour. And it was amazing. Same set list every night, but it was so good that I just had to see it again. And uh, I had never seen Mark Brickman before, uh, other than, I believe I saw him in 94 with Pink Floyd. But I wasn't a lighting designer then. So I noticed that they had lasers and they saved them for one song. Right. And I won't spoil it if anyone's going to go to Pompeii or something, but <laughs> whatever that loss, the last song they save it for. And I, you know, from being in the industry, I know how expensive it is to rent lasers. And I just thought it was a very kind of baller move. Can I use that word? Baller? Sure. I, yeah. I wouldn't typically. It's not, that's not a, not a uh, overly book. used one. So you can, but if you throw a, let's do this. Good, it, lo- good lot term, bro. You're out of it's here. It's just, it's to me, it was, it's just badass. It's like, yeah, we have enough money that we're going to spend. I, I believe I counted 12 or 16 lasers. 
and they just used them for one song. So fast forward now to Wani, and I don't normally use other visual aspects other than our show, but the lasers were there for our using, and I decided, you know, I looked at the set list, I'm gonna save them towards the end. So you saw the full show, and for the first hour, you're thinking to yourself, right. where are the lasers? He forgot. And somebody tweeted at me, bro, where are the lasers in the tree, man? Like, Wait a were, second, you're looking at your tweets as you're doing a lighting show? Of course he is. No, there was no cell phone reception, this is the next day. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> Twitter exists after in, in other than real time. I thought it was real time here, guys. But I've seen him do a lot of light shows. And by, by and holding it... shows also. But by holding it, it was one of the most impactful, powerful things I've seen him do. It really got, it really got me. It was, it was, it was sick. Mm-hmm. And the crowd responded. The crowd responded with alacrity. So there Jeff sets it up. He talks about the gentleman he's working with, Awani. And now we're going to reset back to where Jeff first prepared with Chris in advance of Mexico uh, a few months before that, right, Seth? Yeah, that's right. You said this was your favorite part of any interview so far, any any time in the podcast. Is that not correct, Seth? That is correct. Two points on the board for Rob for having a good memory. I do like... I do listen. I, I give you shit, but I do listen to you, and I do care about what you think and feel. You know that, right? Absolutely. It's important to me that you know that. Absolutely, Rob. Absolutely. Okay. All right, good. And You uh, do know that. You do know that. <laughs> of course I know that. I love you too, Rob. And right. I love our listeners, All so right. enough of the love, and let's go back to Waffle. Right back to the interview now. Waffle takes us back to where he and Chris were scheming um, while Fish was playing Colorado a few months before their first destination festival in Mexico. was late coming on stage so he started quizzing you about it wasn't it wasn't we we met before the show we met at you know dinner time six o'clock or whatever we talked about this is my experience last year because again we had only done it one year the inaugural year was crash my playa it was at that's the, the luke bryan thing yes it was at the it was the first cid presents event and it was at the barcelo the same site where the fish festival would occur, or and, the non-festival. And also a similar model where it was not just that one site, but they had other hotels. So you went, you know, this is the different model when CID Presents came out uh, with Crash. The Crash wasn't just one resort. It was, you could you could have a option of like six resorts that you could stay at. And the show is at one resort. So you have this whole travel piece that's going along with it. And then the show is at a much larger, you know, the, the largest resort. The, the host resort. The host resort, yeah. So we talked about it at dinner, and he was very curious about my experience and the types of lights we used, and we kind of were just very, you know, approximating what we were going to do. And then I went back to my seat, and the show was about to start, and those of us that have seen Fish know that it's usually right around 45 minutes after the ticketed time. So I believe the ticketed time was about 7.30. 8 o'clock comes, 8.10 comes, you see the monitor guy up on stage, you're, you're thinking, okay, any minute now the lights are going to go down. And at about 
15, I get a text from Chris saying, can you come to front of house, which is the area where the light board is. And of course I ran down and I said, I thought there was maybe a problem. They push, they, he's pushing people. Their posters are flying in the air, popcorn and emergency beer. lighting situation, emergency lighting situation. Yeah. I thought like, you know, I broke my hand. I needed to, you know, take over. <laughs> and he was just kind of him and his, uh, one of the most gifted programmers in the world, Andrew Giff and Andrew Giffen, pardon me. Uh, they were both just very eager to kind of conceptualize and, and visualize what the setup was like. So that was the only reason he had texted me. And I said, well, you know, where's the band? And he said, oh, they're working out something special for the encore, which would eventually become that the Harpua that spelled uh, yeah. thank you or whatever. Yeah, they did a bunch of songs they hadn't done before, and they spelled the beginning of the song spelled, I forget what it spelled out. Right. So that was the beginning of it, and then we talked about it over the, the next few months. And uh, we wound up down on the beach. And, you know, an event like that is planned year-round. I mean, we're already planning next year uh, various events. Uh, but the component of Kuroda and I actually talking creatively didn't start until the fall. And then once we got down there and we were on the beach, we started talking about specific logistics about how we were going to run all the various lights. And I had just been under the impression that he would run everything because it's his show. And when we did Crash My Playa, the light board wasn't even set up next to their light board, the sight lighting that we were doing. We were off at the, at the back of the field, had no interaction with Luke Bryan's camp or any of the other headliners. So that was kind of what I was thinking was going to be similar about this year. And once we started talking and we started going over logistics and programming, um, we eventually arrived at the idea that I would very subtly and, you know, very slowly and not no, no sudden changes um, run the lights over the ocean that, that were in the sky and over the ocean while he ran. Just I think ma- mainly because he didn't have enough hands to run it all himself. Um, but, yes, it was a, uh, one of the most creatively stimulating experiences of my life. Now. You have to understand this previous to this waffle when he did light shows doesn't like anyone else being any part of your your show right well i don't want anyone else ever pressing a button that's right. going to affect the show which that's what i mean would only happen when you would have uh pyrotechnics which has happened with these are all specific examples that i've experienced pyrotechnics lasers um any any kind of visual effect that you have to rely on someone else and the reason is not because that those people are not talented. It's just because they don't have the intimate relationship with the music the way that somebody who does every show would know. He doesn't know the tendencies of the improv. He doesn't know all the subtle little eye contact or or visual cues that the band members are doing. And you're talking about split seconds where they're coming out of a guitar solo and the lasers might be going crazy. And you don't have enough time to turn your head and say, hey, blackout now. You only have enough time to hit the button. Right. And so... We had used lasers a couple times in the past, and I was insistent upon, I have to be the one to hit the button. And the laser people get a little offended at that. They're like, well, I've been working in this industry for 40 years, and who's this kid telling me I can't run my own lasers? This is my lasers. We've been at Wani all weekend, and we've run it for every show. And our position is always like, well, that's great, but this is our show, and we want it to look the way we want it to look. And so that was the mindset going in to Wani.
So as we're setting up for Wani, I turn around and I meet this very polite British gentleman and I introduce myself and I said, you're the laser guy. And he says, yes, I'm Glenn. And I said, I'm, I'm Jefferson. I, I have a bunch of work to do, but I'll talk to you around 11 o'clock, which was an hour before the show at midnight. And he was patient and very calm and he just had this very nice air about him. And uh, I, I, I asked him, I said, you know, so it's cool if I run the, the lasers, right? And he's like, well, yeah, if you'd like to. And, um, but I can't, you know, I don't really think I can move all this equipment down to where you are. I was down in the lower level of the front of house uh, riser and he was about, you know, six feet behind me on an upper level. And so I said, well, why don't you kind of show me some of your best things? And I thought about what you told me about the liquid sky or as you called it, the cloud. That was the first thing I said to him. And I said, let me see that. That'll be our starting point. And so he showed me that. And I said, oh, that's pretty. I like that. I'm going to use that in Glory, which is a really kind of mellow, uplifting Humphrey song. So I said, write that down. That's our first cue. And then I went through five other cues. And I said, show me something crazy, like a strobe. We're going to use that in All in Time, which is a climactic Humphrey song. And I basically kind of arrived at the idea as we were going through this, that like this guy seems like he knows what he's doing. So we, Glory comes and I say, all right, here we go. This is the thing. And he, he brings it in and it looks amazing. And I immediately turned around. And even though I'd been so strict with him about like, this is specifically where it's going to happen and this is going to happen. And then I'm going to tell you to stop. As the jam progressed and I was evolving the lights, I, I just gave him a, a signal with my finger, like a circular motion, like keep going, do something else. And he did it. And it was very intuitive and it looked great. And then at the last minute, Jake, our guitar player, was soloing and he gave the band that quick little nod where you only have half a second to react. And I turned around and the normal way you would call cues traditionally is stand by to blackout, blackout. You have to say stand by so they're ready. But I didn't, I missed all that because I was watching Jake. Again, why I don't ever let anyone else press the button. And I turned around at the last second and I just gave him the, you know, slit your throat, kill signal sign. And he did it right on the downbeat. He was very intuitive. He got it. And so then I'm thinking, okay, this, guy's no, this guy knows what he's doing. And it occurred to me later as he, he worked a couple other songs that this was a direct correlation of Chris Carota trusting me with his show. And I don't think I would have been as you know, willing to let someone else run the show. But, but Chris, that, to me, that was a really big moment for me and uh, my career because it was like, you know, I know how Chris is. And I, I learned a lot from watching him and his philosophy and for him to give me that trust i it was it was easier for me to turn to this guy and say okay i'm gonna put the show basically in your hands and let you hit the button so we go through the encore they never wound up playing all in time which was the song we prepared for the most um everything went great the show ends i turn around the first thing i do is i shake this guy's hand and i said that was amazing great job like that was so great it really was amazing it really was beautiful and he turns to me in a british accent that i'm not going to do and he says i've been doing lasers for the Who since 1968. <laughs> I said, dude, why didn't you tell me that at 9 a.m.? Like, we could have had a totally different day. That's the end of it. So we take you into the mind of Jefferson Waffle. And, and you know, Seth, I got to add that he went, really went out of his way to come sit down and talk with us. 
He did. He did. And he was uh, dressed as sharp as can be. And I know this because my son always wants to wear a blazer now. And he says, do I look like Jefferson? <laughs> you demented your son. That's great. Uh... I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> anyway, so he was on tour and he flew to Atlanta out of his way at his own expense uh, to be on the show because it was the very early stages of the show. And we needed to have some good conversation. He actually took me out to dinner for the pre-interview. Did, did I ever, ever tell you that? Uh, no, he but took you me did. Out to dinner. I was going to say I didn't get the bill, so that uh, that surprised me. No, but I took Josh out to lunch the other day. You're going to get that bill. And who is Josh for our listeners? Your engineer, Josh Thane from Wonder Dog Sound Studios. That's right, Josh Thane from Wonder Dog Sound Studios. I've been working on the radio voice. Does that sound good there? No, I don't like that at all. I prefer your normal voice, just talking Wonder like you Wonder Dog are. Sound Studios. Uh, Wonder, if, by, by the way, if anyone doesn't know what Wonder Dog Sound Studios is, uh, mm-hmm. it's this awesome little studio. It's very personal, very uh, analog. Uh, they also have the you know the whole MIDI and everything, but it's a really cool studio. I think one of the coolest Seth, things. Yeah? My experience at Good Old Days and Coming gave me an idea. Ooh, I like ideas. I, I want to interview Jeff Mosier, Johnny Mosier, Mark Van Allen, and everybody in Blue Gun Undergrass and do it at Wonder Dog Sound Studio. Could we make that happen? Uh, it's quite possible. And maybe they play maybe they play some music for us while they're there. Uh yeah. Well let's uh well I'd say we call uh, Mosher up right now, but I've got you on the line, so I can't uh can't do that. But we'll right. uh, email him and see. I, I like I'm going that back idea, to that room. I'm going back to that room this weekend right before the Super Bowl. I love that good old days and coming. I love that room. I love Steve Barry Hill. I love uh Savannah, like the greatest, most gorgeous waitress in, in all of the Eastern Coast. Hey, Rob, did you say Super Bowl? Super Bowl! What's I've been gonna, watching What's going to happen? I mean, Rob, listen for a second. You, I don't ever talk sports with you for the most part, uh, I but I always do talk postseason. What, what is going to happen with you? You're like a New England guy, but you're also an Atlanta guy. What, what's what's, what, what's going to happen here? Who are you rooting for? I'm going to be watching dispassionately with music fans who are not going to be about allegiance, but more about the majesty of the event and just the beauty of the game and the fact that um, Tom Brady, the Deflategate, was bullshit. So Brady deserves to win now, and Mike Ryan can come back and win very soon after. Who do you want to win? I just want to see Roger Goodell hand the MVP to Tom Brady one last time, maybe two more times, but at least one more after the bullshit that he schemed up with the deflated footballs, which. As we learned from a Pittsburgh Giants game just a few weeks ago, you know, the whole play game is BS. So I want I want the icing on the cake is to have Goodell hand Brady the trophy. But I do want Matt Ryan to win a Super Bowl too, Seth. And I do think I'll have him this year. And that's why I'm watching with music fans because I want to see a really good game. I'm not about one team crushing the other at all. I want to see a really good game. Most of all, a really good game. All right, well... That's interesting. I was I figured you'd be New England crazy and still kind of secretly wanting Atlanta to win, but uh, yeah, I'll be here in Mexico watching it. It's going to be uh, during the uh, one big holiday, so we have a huge screen we're putting up over doing a big one big football party over the lagoon um, here in Mexico right, during wait. the show. Should be good, a lot of fun. One last thing before we go, dude. I'm yeah. sorry I have to do this. I'm doing this right on the air. I, I don't want to be a jerk, but you you know I love the slip. Uh, yeah, right. absolutely. When you see Jim James, could you ask him about if there's any plans on him working on a uh, studio release from the slip? 
Could sure. you do that for me? Yeah, if, if I do see him. I mean, I don't really see him as much, but I do see some of the other guys. We've got, uh, like, uh, Tom is going to come out and um, do the uh, Griswold Poolside Casino, which is like, like you would think, Griswold Casino games in the pool. It's going to be a lot of fun. Is it true we're going to have Grizz on the show? Uh, he, you know, on Jam Cruise, we talked, and he was interested. Actually, on Jam Cruise, a lot of the musicians are interested. It's just a matter of uh, us being at the place where they're at, etc. But we've got some good stuff, good interviews lined up coming up. Um, I want Grizz. When's Grizz coming to Atlanta? I want Grizz. I don't think he's coming to Atlanta anytime soon, but we could also go to a festival that he's at, and that would be more likely to link that up. Okay. All right, well, uh, oh, Hey, our new Twitter followers, thank you. Inside Out WTNS, Inside Out WTNS, thank you for the new followers. And if you're not following us, please do. We're going to start uh, beefing up our Twitter game. So uh, join us. Oh, you're going to loosen the reins on me and let me tweet some crap and not overreact to some stupid tweet? Yeah, I'll probably still overreact. Oh, great. <laughs> Super. Um, hey, and Rob, uh, you Thanks. know. Yeah, I am here in Mexico. Thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Rob, I'm here in Mexico for the next two weeks for some events. So if uh, if uh, you want some reviews of the next event, I'm happy to uh, go ahead and plug plug some time away to chat with you. Is Kunj there? Uh, not at this event. Um, or uh, I don't think he's coming for Jacket. I'm not sure. Well, remind him that I want to interview him and I need some biographical information. Yeah, we talked about that. We're gonna, we talked about that on Jam Cruise, and he definitely is interested. But right. we want to get the get some more legs on the episode, on our episodes, and uh, we'll we'll bring him in uh, in the summer, if not uh, if not during the Fool's Paradise. So, new listeners, thanks for listening. Old listeners, thanks for coming back. And everybody, enjoy your morning, night, afternoon, whatever's going on with you. Just enjoy. Be careful out there, Seth. Adios. Fan fucking tastic. Thank you all so much.